0: This is Mainspring
1: Family Wellness, where transformation takes root. This podcast is for parents pursuing both personal growth and family wellness. We will cover relevant topics that help us reflect, make educated choices, and parent effectively. My name is Kristen Perlmutter.
0: I'm an educator, a philanthropist, and a mother of three who is passionate about personal growth and seeing families at their optimal wellness. And I'm
1: Dr. Jenna Flowers a marriage and family therapist, author of The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, speaker, and mother of three.
0: Welcome to Mainspring Family Wellness. We are so excited to be back in the Gold Pacific studios recording a live podcast. It's been a while since we've been in the studio, and we're very happy to have Susan Kenny here today from CASA of Orange County. We are just really happy to talk about what CASA does, um, Susan's role in the nonprofit world, and um, to learn a little bit more about uh, foster youth
2: in Orange County.
0: Thank you so much for being here. Thank Thank you you for
2: having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And if anybody needs an amazing studio, they should come to Gold Studios. (laughs) It's absolutely beautiful here in Newport Beach. I'm blown away. So yes, it is. Well, it's great to have you here. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So, Susan, how did you get involved in the nonprofit world?
2: Well, uh, similar to what's going on in the world right now, uh, the pandemic, um, I think people are really reevaluating their lives and their choices and the things that they want to do that matter. And so um, when September 11th happened, I I was shocked, just like the rest of the world, obviously. And I, I sort of just really looked at what was going on in my life thinking is, it doesn't matter. You know, I wasn't a parent at the time. Uh, and I just, I thought, gosh, I, I've got to wake up every morning and really, i got to feel good about what I'm doing. And I had been volunteering my time. My mother was uh, huge in volunteerism, and, and I took some of that um, from her and had done uh, a marathon, team and training marathon for Leukemia Society. And I uh, was a wish-granter for Make-A-Wish. and um, But I really... I, th- I was in sales and I thought, gosh, I, I just think that I want to do that for a living. And mm-hmm. so it took me a couple of years, but I ended up, yeah, drastically, not drastically, I guess that's not really the thing to say because sales, fundraising is sales, but um, I moved into the nonprofit space and it's been uh, almost 18 years
0: now that wow. I've been doing And you've been it. with Costa the whole time?
2: No, I started with the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Mm-hmm. I was with them for 11 years. And... Um, amazing organization. Uh, spent all of my labor days uh, doing the Labor Day Telethon if anybody
1: <laughs> I remember that. Yep. yeah,
2: old enough to remember Jerry Lewis Telethon, but uh, an amazing uh, organization and I uh, left there after 11 years and uh, had a brief um, stop at, at the Child Abuse Prevention Center and then went to the Ronald McDonald house and I was there for mm-hmm. almost five years. And now I've been with CASA, uh, Court Appointed Special Advocates of Orange County, since September of last year. Wow. That's great. And you have a family of your own. You have children. I do. I have two boys, 14 and 15. Uh, They are the loves of my life. Um, They are uh, amazing, smart uh, boys. But, you know, they're struggling a little bit, you know, with what's going on, Uh, very social and want to spend time with their friends and be at school. and uh, But I've said to everybody the silver lining of all of this is that when in the world is a 14- and a 15-year-old boy going to want to spend time with their mom? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and they have been forced to spend time with me. And so, uh, yeah, it's uh, I've appreciated that part of it all. Mm-hmm. So,
1: Can you tell us a little more about the mission of CASA? Sure.
2: Uh, what we do is we provide a powerful voice and a meaningful connection to children who have experienced abuse, uh, neglect, and abandonment. That's our mission statement. But what that means, if you, uh, you know, dial it down, is that we uh, provide a one-on-one match, a mentor advocate for a child that is in the foster system. And uh, these kids who are in the foster system by no fault of their own, I think there's a misconception sometimes about foster youth that they're these bad kids and they've been removed from their homes. But
1: mm.
2: the majority of, I you know, of the kids that are in the foster system were taken from their homes to keep them safe. And so uh, our advocates become a consistent champion in their lives that support them and mentor them and and advocate for them.
1: So what what actually happens in the life of a foster child in Orange County? Can you walk us through that? Sure.
2: It's it's different for every child. Uh, some of these kids uh, do have family members, extended family members, that they can uh, go and live with them. Others have no one. So um, some of these kids uh, do have a family to go to. Uh, some of these other kids, they have no one. And so they're either placed in a foster home or they are um, placed in Uh, With a foster family, um, or a group home, or with a foster family, and so um, it's traumatizing. I mean, just imagine any child who doesn't really even know any different. They all they know is that their parents hurt them,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. right? Or that their parents neglect them, or you know, or that they just their parents aren't home, but. But that's their parents, and mm-hmm. so they don't know any different, and so they want to be home. Like, that's what they know. That's their safe space. So then you come in and you remove a child, and they think, why are you taking me away from my family? Not, why are you taking me away from this awful situation? No. I grew up in a household where both my parents were there. Uh, you know, I, I never wanted for anything. I If somebody were to have come into my house and taken me away, I would have said, what the heck is
1: happening here? I don't understand. Right. And I think what you're bringing up, too, is something that we talk about in um, conscious parenting, which is the different attachment styles. Mm -hmm. And so when a child grows up with disorganized attachment, which is kind of what you're referring to Mm -hmm. when a child has gone through uh, chronic trauma, toxic rupture after toxic rupture, you start to attach to your attachment finger as someone that is terrifying to you. Mm -hmm. And so it creates this ongoing cycle of, you're all I have, and yet I'm also scared of you as well. that is 100% what's happening with these these kids. And so,
2: um, you know, we support children all the way from uh, childbirth all the way up to 21. And Mm -hmm. so uh, we can make matches that way. And babies, obviously, are very easily taken in, um, very easily, to, families to find somebody to take them. And then there gets to be the youth that – this is a term. Unfortunately, it's an awful term, but they are unadoptable. Wow. Because they get to be a certain age where people are like, oh, well, they're not, you know, cute anymore, or they've come with too much baggage, or they mm-hmm. – you know, those. these are all the – have you ever seen the movie um, with um, – Um, Rose Byrne and Mark Wahlberg the immediate family Mm -hmm. yeah so to really truly understand all of that that's the perfect movie to watch it's fun it's lighthearted, but it's very very true because they go to that foster day Mm -hmm. and they're looking at the younger sister and the younger brother and they think oh they're so cute yeah of course we could take these two and then the teenager shows up and says what about me you know Mm, yeah and that's exactly what's
1: happening what is it the age considered to be unadoptable oh gosh I Or is there a range of reasons? It's it's a range of reasons. Yeah, a
2: child. um, We just had a a situation recently where it was a brother and a sister, and um, uh, they wanted to get a placement to keep them together. But it's hard when it's different genders. Mm. But also, the boy was uh, diagnosed with autism, and so um, that was making it even harder. So they were in a group home. A foster family didn't want to have to, to, you know, uh, maybe didn't know how to deal with the autism diagnosis uh, but we were able to put a an advocate with the sister uh, and then uh, the advocate for the sister said wait I know somebody that we could get to advocate she's a friend of mine she's a teacher she's a past casa let's bring her back in and she then became matched with this boy
1: Mm. and
2: the teacher said as she started working with him I know children on the spectrum and this kid is not on the spectrum." And we need to get a little dig a little bit deeper here. And so through the social worker and the advocate, um, they were able to realize he was misdiagnosed with having autism because he had suffered so much trauma that he was, you know, experiencing sort of spectrum like um, behaviors. And they, were, they worked so hard to get that diagnosis removed and get him the support that he needed. And then they got a foster home, and then they got adopted oh, wow. together. That's an incredible oh. story. It's an incredible story. I, I <laughs> mean, that one, I get the chills when I yeah. say it every single time because there's so many kids that they just throw drugs at them, throw drugs at them, you know. And, and they just, you need to get to the heart of what's going mm-hmm. on here. And again, these kids, the trauma, and especially now. What's happening with the pandemic is that um, the watchful eyes of teachers and coaches and even neighbors are not on these kids. Mm-hmm. Right. They're at home. Um, there's probably a lot of stress going on at home. Uh, you know, no, maybe lost their job. Parents lost their jobs. Um, but usually a child would go into to school and the teacher would see maybe a bruise on their arm or something. Mm-hmm. Right. And they would report it. Um, Or a coach would say, you know, they keep showing up and they're hungry or they're tired. Something's not right here, you know. And so they would reach out and say something's not right. But the problem with them being in lockdown or quarantine, if you will, we're not finding out about them until the police are involved or they're in the hospital. And so it's very, it's been very, very um, difficult for foster youth during all this. People sort of forget that, you know. Um, And so... We've had an enormous amount of uh, volunteers coming in to sign up to be advocates attending our information sessions and then going through training. And like I said at the beginning, I think when these world events happen, people re- really re- re- reevaluate what it is that's important in their lives. And so while there is we still have a waiting list. We are filling. We are making matches within 30 days, whereas last year it would take us 60 days. I mean, Mm -hmm. we are really moving very quickly to get these uh, advocates into these kids' lives, and um, which is again a a silver lining to a very, very bad situation.
1: How many placements uh, does a child typically go through in the foster care system?
2: Oh gosh! Again, it depends. But you know, we just we were had a board meeting on Monday, and we were talking about this that there was a story that one of our case supervisors shared that there was an 11-year-old who had been in 17 had 17 different placements. Wow. 11 years old. And so think about just the the trauma of being removed from your home. Again, these are my parents. This is what I know. I love them even though they're doing all of these horrible things, but I'm a child and I don't understand that maybe that's what I think love is, right? Right. Yeah. And so then you get You're removed and you're terrified. Then you get moved again and again and again and again and again and again. And the trauma that just keeps adding up and adding up, there's no consistency in their lives. And so the CASA advocate becomes that consistent person in their lives. So through all of those different placements, they still have Colin or they still have Craig or they still have, you know, Suzanne. Mm. Um, and that's what they do. They they provide that consistency for the child and work through, you know, uh, hopefully can work through what they're going through. So. so what happens to the children in Orange County that aren't adopted? They stay in the system. So um, what used to happen is uh, when you turned 18 years old, then you are an adult mm-hmm. and you go on with your life. Well, when I was 18, I certainly was an adult. No. <laughs> and so um, the law was changed that if the child wanted to stay in the system and receive services, they could until they were 21. Okay, And so um, uh, if they're not adopted, then they either live in a group home or they live with a foster family, uh, hopefully with an advocate supporting them along the way. Uh, and um, Or a child can eman- emancipate. They can decide at um I believe 16 that they oh. can emancipate. But I'll tell you um, one in five homeless people were in the foster system at one point. And 80% of those incarcerated were in the foster system wow. at one point. Mm. So if we can step in, or we have been (laughs) stepping in, um, we're celebrating our 35th anniversary this year. CASA as a whole is a national organization um, with over 900 chapters around the country. We're over 40 years old. But um, we are stepping in to redirect or or to to break the cycle, right? If they just, they think, hey, that's how I'm loved, that's how I'm going to love, or Nobody cares about me. I'll go break a law mm-hmm. or, you know, I just, we, gosh, we have these stories after stories. Um, we had an advocate share with us that he took his youth to a restaurant and they sat down at the table and the waiter came over to, uh, you know, ask for what they wanted to eat. And the uh, foster youth looked at the waiter and said, what do you want to know? Like, wh- why? Who are you? He'd never been in a sit-down restaurant before and so didn't even... So the little things that are so simple to us, right? So not only are they mentoring them, like, hey, you, let's go to a restaurant and this is, you know, just sort of a fun thing that we do. But hey, let me show you how to fill out a job application. Let me help you get your driver's license. Let me help you... With uh, some uh, etiquette. Yeah, yeah. exactly. How to... Exactly. Social skills. Let me teach you uh, how to, you know ride a bike, drive a car, you know, just somebody who's consistently looking out for them. And then the advocacy part of it is that our advocates, CASA volunteers, go to court for these youth. So in the state of California, there is a hearing um, every six months. The child may go, the child may not. Usually they don't. But the CASA volunteer will go along with our case supervisor, along with their social worker, along with their attorney. And then with the judge. And more often than not, the judge will, one of the first things he'll do is take the case file and read the the advocate, the CASA's um, report. And then he'll say, Is there a CASA in the room? They stand up and they share. Because we were created by a judge, a judge uh, in Washington State who said, I cannot possibly know what's going on with all of these kids. And we've made a commitment to raise these kids by Mm -hmm. taking them out of these homes. And are we doing right by them without knowing them and making mm-hmm. these blanket decisions, you know? Mm-hmm. So he created – and he said, I need an outside independent person who's not being paid to be here to be a part of this kid's life because they want to be a part of this kid's life. And they can give us sort of the inside of what's going on. So that's how we are created. So all of our of volunteers are volunteers. They have to um, – Attend a, an information session. They have to go through 30 hours of training. They have to have a background check. They, we do interviews with your family and your friends. I mean, we go deep to make sure that this person is here for the right reasons and they're going to do uh, a good job. And so, back to them attending the court hearings, um, they can say, I've spent time with Billy. Um, he's so smart. Um, he loves art can we please get him into some art lessons the court signs off and gets him some art lessons or he loves soccer or i've been working with sally and you know she loves um uh, to play tennis can we get her a tennis racket can Mm -hmm. we you know so they make these decisions but they also are there to be that voice for them that powerful voice which, which is in our mission You know, I get pulled over by a police officer, right? And I get nervous. And I'm an adult, and I don't really know how to advocate for myself. You know, I just say, "Okay, okay, I'll take my ticket," or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So think about that as a child. A foster youth does not get to be a child. They don't get to make mistakes like other kids. They make a mistake at their foster home. The foster parents can call and say, "Get them out tonight." Wow. (sighs) And they're gone. So again, the CASA volunteers are their advocates. That they will be in court, and they will say, "An example." this young lady, um, uh, one of our casas, was working with a a youth for about two years. Um, She got her on track. She was doing great in school. She got her on the tennis team. Like, hey, let's get you doing something other than school, you know, active. My boys were doing sports. It kept them out of trouble. Like, let's get you on the um, right track. So everything was going great. Um, I think about 15 and a half, I think, she was living with a foster family. She got her permit. She took the keys to the Foster parents car and went for a joyride so technically breaking the law right right, they called the police she was detained um and she had to go to court so my boys do that right i take their phones away they get grounded they don't get to go to the movies with their friends right they they have to do their chores without allowance like all of the learning lessons right this young lady was facing jail time And so Marie went to court and just exactly said that. My boys did this, Mm -hmm. and I grounded them. I guarantee your children probably did something similar, Judge, if not you did something very similar. And you were given the opportunity to learn your lesson and move on with your life. If you place her in juvenile hall, you will change the trajectory of Mm. this young lady's life. And he said, you're absolutely right. So we didn't. So that's what our advocates do. So, she, I mean, if Marie wasn't there, who knows what her, this future of this bright young woman, you know, would have happened. So that we, we hear these stories time and time and time again that they are there as a consistent support system.
1: Um, it makes you realize, too, that, like, so much is set up to work against somebody in the foster care yeah, system. Absolutely. It's a broken I mean, system. Oh, but, my gosh. And then to hear, too, that it was one out of five that, uh, uh-huh. that are homeless. Yeah. I uh-huh. mean, that's a staggering statistic when you think about, when you really think about well, that. Well, they
2: get disillusioned with the system, right? And so then they yeah. emancipate and they think, right. well, I can do it better. Sure. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to do it better. But then they get out there and, you know, they don't know how to apply for a job or mm-hmm. they don't know how to get an apartment or, you know. I said, What are the actual resources, though, for mm-hmm. someone that's in the foster care? Um, well, we're, we have made a commitment to raise them. Yeah. So, you know, I say it's a broken system. I, I, let me by saying that is nobody gets into this, um, you know, social workers or, or family attorneys or, or judges. Nobody gets into this because they don't want to help kids. They want right. to help kids. That's why they made this decision. But it's so overwhelming mm-hmm. and they have so many cases and they just can't keep up. And so that's how we come in and support them in that way. Um but we have made a commitment to raise these children, and so we will get them, uh, you know, uh, scholarship, or pay for them to go to AYSO or to get writing lessons or to get glasses or, you know, all of those things. Find a place for them to live. Um, there are scholarships that are available to foster youth, um, so that's wonderful. But some of these kids think, well, I'm just not smart enough, or I don't know how to fill that out, or I'm embarrassed, or how do I... How do I move away or, you know. So, again, the mentoring of our advocates and that, um, it's just life-changing. And they have
0: access to counseling services, I assume, too.
2: They do. Yeah, social worker. Obviously, um, our advocates can, CASA volunteers, we we call them CASAs. Um, So they step in and say we need to direct them or their social worker
1: will say that or even the foster parents or the group homes, you know. Um, what does time with a CASA volunteer look like? Like, how do they spend their time with, with their um, the, the youth?
2: Yeah. So, uh, again, so you have to attend an information session. You have to go through 30 hours worth of training uh, with all the background checks. And then you're cleared, you're sworn in by a judge, uh, and then you're, we make a match for you. So we ask that you would make a minimum of a two-year commitment. We don't want somebody popping in and out of their lives. Right. So we have to be a two-year commitment with this child. Um, and even though you're matched with the child, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will be with them for the entire two years. Our entire goal is to reunify the family. If it's smart and it's safe and it's, you know, um, that's the best thing for the child and for the family if they if it's safe, right? Um, so if a child is reunified, then maybe you're on the case for six months or a year um, and then you have the the... Um, opportunity to choose another case if you'd like, or maybe take some time off. But with that said, the average time that our CASAs are with their youth is four years. They usually, the cases last a little bit longer. And so um, we've had even longer than that, though. But um, so we ask that you would then spend a minimum of two visits with your youth a month um, for two hours each visit. Um, sometimes, obviously, it gets a little bit longer and maybe more frequent. But again, back to my original statement about reunification, that's our goal. So we don't want our volunteer. Th- there's boundaries when you yeah. are, a, you know, I couldn't be a volunteer because I would want to take them yeah. home and I'd want to take them <laughs> I would too. <laughs> yeah, like, so there are clear boundaries that they are taught during their training along with their continuing education, we, we do continuing education throughout um, the year, um, that you have to create a situation where you are a mentor, um, but not a parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going to advocate for them, but you're going to support them to get back together with their family if that's you know what's decided is the best for the youth. And so um, there's a $25 limit to each visit that they can spend which seems crazy in Orange County, right? You're like, how do you even do anything for $25? But again, we don't want the youth to say, well, I'm not going back to my family. Jenna takes me shopping and Jenna takes me to, you know, eat at, you know, Mastro's every weekend. And so... Um, there are very strict guidelines that our causes need to follow.
1: By the way, I don't even think I've eaten at Mastro's. <laughs> I haven't want I, I <laughs> I For the record. Well, you certainly <laughs> can't for $25. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't think you can get a, an appetizer there. for. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, just and then
2: attending the court hearings every six months. But yeah. um, but the, it you know, even though it's a two two visit minimum, it usually is bigger and
0: So at that point, if they were to be uh, reunified with their family, um, would that relationship have to terminate or can they maintain contact? Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, it's very, very complicated. (laughs) There's so many moving parts with the courts and the privacy issues and um, provided that the family is okay with it, then yes. Okay. And the youth is okay with it, yes. But um, we lose track of kids when they leave the system, Mm -hmm. even if they don't stay in contact with their CASAs, you -hmm. know. Um, Some people just want to put it behind them. They don't want to think about it. They don't even want to, you know, I wasn't a foster youth or, you know, however they're um, sort of dealing with it. And sometimes that affects the way that we can track our impact. Mm -hmm because we want while we know we are making a huge impact um, one of the only stats that we can really track right now is high school graduation hmm. so a foster youth, uh, or, or foster youth in the state of California or foster youth in state of California only about 58% graduate from high school 58% 50, but you pair that with a CASA it jumps to 92% wow. that's huge yeah so we'd love to be able to then track. We're, we're working on it. We're um, we've been invited to participate in this uh, sort of program where they can help us track because we'd love to be able to say this kid who had a casa is not homeless. This mm-hmm. one, you know, does have a job. Yeah. This one stayed out of um, prison, and so. Yeah. Um, but the, the people that we do know um, that do stay with us, they're six, huge success stories, and. Amazing,
0: yeah. I would think that if you, you know, bonded and made that connection with somebody and then you, you know, weren't able to speak to them anymore, that would be so heartbreaking
2: for sure. Well, that's the thing. And we were talking about podcasts before we jumped on here, the ones we're listening to. I've listened to two podcasts now that said the exact same thing. That is exactly what Casa does. It only takes one person in your life to make you feel important, yeah, and to make you feel strong and make you you know um, just achieve right mm-hmm. and that's exactly what our causes
1: do it's not about what you say it's how you make people feel yeah yeah and that you' are and that you show up mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. an
0: incredible program so obviously it sounds like you're always in need of advocates we are for your program always and but is there other things that people in the community can do that um, to help CASA, help support the program without becoming an advocate. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like I said, it, I mean, this is not your typical volunteer, or, you know, um, activity. I, I, myself, I know and I love and support this organization, but I could never be a CASA. I don't have the boundary. Um, you know, I wouldn't be able to set the boundaries. And so, um, if you would love to be a CASA volunteer, we can get you the information to be on, um, to sit in on one of our information sessions. But outside of this, obviously, we always need funding. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, um, we're actually hiring people right now during the pandemic, and. It's good that we're creating job opportunities for people, but the reality of why we're creating job opportunities is because there are so many kids coming into the system. And so our case supervisors have um, 40 advocates that they work one-on-one with, and as those numbers start creeping up, then we need to add case supervisors because we don't want to be in the same situation that social workers are in where they have this huge caseload and they can't you know, manage it. And so we've added two new case supervisors during the pandemic, and we're looking to potentially add another uh, here soon. But funding for us, we have to uh, recruit uh, volunteers. We've got to train them. We've got to supervise them. Um, We do have a a family connections department, which is so beautiful. Um, We're so focused on the mentor advocacy because that's our core business, and that is so important. But the family connections is – Sorry, I get emotional, but it—we find missing family members for these kids. So we are. So if a, a youth doesn't have anybody, we have this sort of investigative team. Uh, we have two staff members, and then we have volunt- Casa volunteers that help us. But we send letters and we make phone calls and we say, "Hey." We did some research on Lexis, Lexis Nexus and um, you have the same last name as this kid and it looks like you could potentially be their grandparent or you could maybe be a an uncle because these some these parents do not I'm assuming and hopeful that they don't become parents to be neglectful and abusive and you, you know um, So they've lost their way somewhere along the way. And so they've lost their their connection to their family. And so these family members that may be in Michigan or Arizona or Mexico, they don't even know these children exist. And so that's where we come in and we call them and we say, hey, did you know? And then we've we've created adoptions. We've created relationships for the kids to at least – get a birthday call or a happy Thanksgiving call or, you know, so our family connections department is so important as well. So we need volunteers for that as well. Um, and then we, um, have a holiday party, which unfortunately we have to have a drive through one this year. We have a back to school event, uh, for backpacks and school supplies. Uh, and then, um, anybody who, you know, just might have. We're, we're we're very creative. Um, mm-hmm. so if somebody has like uh, the ability to teach finance to maybe our older youth or something, we could maybe create some sort of a class. Um, or if somebody um wants to put on an activity, mm-hmm. a retreat or something along those lines for the youth. Right now, we're not doing one-on-one um you know events, but um we are very very creative. If somebody comes to us and, and wants to support the kids.
1: But if somebody even wanted to drop off gift cards, maybe oh, for the holiday yeah. season.
2: Absolutely. That Stocking would Stocking stuffers. Absolutely. That would be wonderful because we, um, these kids, a lot of them, they're older kids, right? And some of them may be living on their own. Um, we, there's apartments, um, that they have and they, they just need pots and pans or they mm-hmm. need, but we, we'd like gift cards would be better than pots and pans, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but yeah, but just supporting them and the advocate can bring it to them and they can go shopping together and they can fill the, the apartment or, or these little kids who
1: they just, you know, they need a, a stuff Can we talk about the boundaries piece for a minute? Yeah. Because it sounds like you know, I've always thought to become an adoptive parent is truly a calling. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine even becoming a foster care parent is very similar too. Yeah. Um, it sounds like the kind of the next tier might be to be an uh, a casa advocate, mm-hmm. although your boundaries really have to be very, very good. Like your heart has to be in the right place about being a mentor versus a parent. That would be hard to navigate, especially if you have been a parent. Like, you know, us here with our three kids, you've got two boys. Yeah. I would imagine that would be very difficult mm-hmm. because you just see the needs and it's like, okay, well, you know, like, I'll just kind of take you in, right? Yeah. But at the same time, when we, we make that leap, then we're kind of um, kind of not honoring the journey, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like for that child to have a mentor Instead of a parent or a foster care parent, it kind of puts you in an even more special position in some ways because you can be this uh, unconditionally loving, accepting person that also can be very judicious in like seeing what the needs are and then saying, you know what, I need to advocate for you about this. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So um, during the interview process, um, the vetting process to become an advocate, uh, we we have some questions to figure out. What's the motivation here? Why is this person here? Are they looking to adopt a child? Well, that's not what we do. So they may be turned away from mm-hmm. becoming um, a, an advocate. So you're right. There are just these very strict boundaries that you have to have. Not saying that you can't create this loving relationship, but it. It has to be, uh, and we do our very, very best to inform you during our information session, <laughs> inform you during our training, um, and then when you actually make the match, like you are making this commitment, and so and, and letting them know how incredibly important this commitment is, because we just cannot be having people come in and mm-hmm. out of this child's life. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, I had a
2: thought, and it slipped out.
1: Well, I was just <laughs> thinking that if. If somebody was to really kind of clean up their expectations around um, what they should be doing or should not be doing, if they could have just really good boundaries about what their role is in, their, in this child's life, yeah. maybe that might take away some of the, um, the fear about becoming a CASA advocate. Mm, yeah. You know, because I imagine for myself thinking, oh man, it would be hard to have boundaries like that. But then, if I if I really think about the role, the specialness of that role in that child's life, then of course you want to maintain those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah, I get what you're saying for yeah. sure.
2: And we have such a diverse um, county, so many different kids um, that need somebody that's relatable to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, more often nationwide, women just volunteer more than men. It's just it's a, you know it's a proven stat, uh, out there. And then here in Orange County, um, we have a very large, um, older woman, white population mm-hmm. of volunteers. And while we love them and we love that they want to support us, it doesn't necessarily work for some of the kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we need diversity. We need, um, uh, people who understand the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. you know, the black, the brown, the, um, um, Speaking Spanish speakers, you know, Mandarin speakers. I mean, like, we need it all, yeah. you know? So, um, and it doesn't matter. You have to be at least 18 years of age. Um, I'm sorry, 21 years of age um, to be able to be a, a, an advocate, a CASA. So don't think that you, you know, have to be in the twilight or after your career or something like that. Like, you, would, if you're a young person and you have the time, like, you really could change. The idea of a young foster youth, right? You know, they if we match them up with an older gentleman who has retired and is playing golf and wants to do this, of course we would make that match. But think about the true impact of somebody who's almost a peer Mm. to you. You know, so we don't just willy nilly make the matches. Mm -hmm. We make sure that we ask the youth what they're looking for in the match. We make sure that we ask the advocate what they're looking for, who they think they could really truly relate to. Um, And so we need, we have a diversity committee that's trying to find different avenues for us to find um, more um, advocates. Um, But if you guys are at all interested, let us know. We'd love to. Have conversations with you. Absolutely. And um, I'm sure many of
0: our listeners would be interested too. Be great. Yeah. Um, and sorry, back to the volunteer opportunities. I just wanted to mention that um, your toy uh, donation mm-hmm. opportunities, because I think that's a great way to contribute as yeah. well. And I I know our school is, is going to be doing that for the holidays. And
2: um, I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit about where those toys go. Yeah. So, um... Traditionally, those toys would get into the hands of the youth at our holiday party. Uh, so we have we're going to be giving out gift cards at the holiday party or drive-through experience this year, rather than actual toys. But Kristen um, has generously offered and her school to participate in doing a toy drive for us because we take those toys and um, we take them to the family court. So think about it. You're a kid and you're going to court and it's a scary situation. Um, And you see the, excuse me, the court is lined with toys up and, you know, down the uh, in front of the you know, the judge, down the, the sides of the courthouse. And so you're like, okay, well, this is kind of cool. <laughs> and right. so then um, they get to go and pick a toy and take it home with them. And it could be their siblings. It could be their cousins or whoever there to show, show support. But it creates a little bit less of a scary situation, and that's where those toys go.
0: I love that because I feel like that's something that our own children can relate to and participate in. You know, go to Target or go on Amazon and help pick out a toy for – a child that probably doesn't have a lot of toys and is walking into a very vulnerable situation. So well, thank you very much for doing that for us. Oh, of course. No, thank you for being here and sharing CASA's mission. And um, you, you do amazing work. And I feel like we don't talk enough as a society, we don't talk enough about foster youth and what they go through and what happens next. And Um, I think I need to have this conversation more and bring the awareness to the community. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Can you leave us with one more story (laughs) that we can be inspired by?
2: Sure. Um, So I just had uh, one today that I just forwarded to a donor of ours because I hadn't talked to him in a while. And I was like, you need to see this. But so it was a text from the foster youth to her advocate. And um, the advocate had been working with this young lady for um, five years or still is working with her for five years and um, helped support her through a teenage pregnancy. Um, She had a baby at 15 years old and and is now caring for her daughter. And the advocate had just taken her um, and her daughter to, um, I think, a birthday celebration or something along those lines. But so she dropped her off and she got a text. And, you know, I mean, teenagers, (laughs) my boys you know it's hard to get them to talk to you right Mm -hmm. um but tech they I think they can all communicate via text and she sent her a text and she just said I want to thank you you have been there for me through the hardest times of my life and you are the one that makes me feel heard and seen and supportive and uh, supported and um I just I thank you so much you know it's um beautiful yeah it is it's awesome and recently too we learned that one of our advocates an older gentleman who um heard from one of his foster youth from years gone by he called him and asked him to be the best man in his wedding oh (laughs) sweet. i know i know so just you know just like i said again it just takes that one person one person who believes in you right you know and so that's that's what um I know I've got a million stories, but one more, one last one. So it was a foster youth who said to her advocate, "You are the only person who is not paid to be in my life."
1: Mm. You know,
2: and she was young and realized that, and saw the value. You know, in that advocate being there because they wanted to be, not because they were paid to be, and wow. it made a huge, huge difference on this young lady. So. It's incredible.
1: I think that those are some amazing stories for us to feel really inspired by going into this Thanksgiving season. Yeah. Um, I know I'm sitting here just like so grateful for these advocates and those mm-hmm. relationships that are that are out there mm-hmm. making a difference. Yeah. Turning a corner, you know, like truly like changing the trajectory of a child's life. And Susan, we thank you so much for what you do. And we just really look forward to continuing to partner with you. And gosh, as I'm even hearing, like I would love to teach a parenting class if we have any, um, any, uh, you know, mentees that have children already, I would love to teach conscious parenting uh, to those kiddos.
2: Yeah, we can arrange that. Yeah, we uh, like I said, we have the continuing education. Once they become the advocate, it doesn't stop, you know, after the 30 hours of training. And so having um, something along those lines for them to to call into, well,
1: hopefully go to at some point. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe on Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, something we can talk about. That would be incredible.
0: Thank you, Susan. We are so grateful for
2: you and everything that CASA does.
1: Thank you. Well, really quick, I know we've got to
2: jump off. I I could talk all day, but it's funny because Kristen and I were introduced by a friend of mine that I worked with at the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Then we found out that Kristen sits on the board of a dear friend of mine that I. Uh, used to work with back in my twenties, and then found out <laughs> that Kristen grew up attending Casa events through one that's of right. our founders, uh, Julie Houting. So that's right. The world is shrinking, and um, but all these beautiful people who are making connections for each of us to support each other, and I think that that is um, what I'm incredibly grateful for heading into Thanksgiving. That people take the time to look how they can make a difference. Um, Just by making an introduction, and uh, I'm really, really proud to be here. So, thank you, ladies, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you.